Welcome to the Rehabica podcast and I am Krista Soloka. Rehabica is a community of medical rehabilitation professionals from across Africa. We include prosthetists and orthotists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists and audiologists. On today's episode of COVID-19 and the therapist, we'll be having an occupational therapist from South Africa, Mr. Elvin William, join us. And to facilitate this session, one of our community members, Ms. Olamide Mabel, an occupational therapist, is here as well. Ma'am, can you kindly introduce yourself? Um, thank you. My name is Olamide Mabel, like she said earlier. I'm an occupational therapist. I practice in Lagos, Nigeria. And um, I studied at Obafemi Abuloa University, the um, only university in Nigeria currently um, doing EPSC in occupational therapy. So uh, today we'll be talking about um, how occupational therapy, uh, the relevance of occupational therapy during this pandemic, uh, how we've been trying to, um, how we've been trying to structure our intervention to fit this pandemic. So that is what we'll be talking about with Mr. Elvin today. Awesome. So right about now, we'll ask Mr. Elvin to join in this recording so that we can begin the session. So we have Mr. Elvin Williams here with us right now. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on this podcast. Um, can you kindly introduce yourself? Hi, good morning, dear colleagues. Um, my name is Alvin Williams. I am an occupation and I'm a lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch in Cape Town, South Africa. I also serve as the Vice President for Policy and Strategic Development for the Occupational Therapy Association of South Africa. Wow, I'm so glad to have you here today. Uh, I would hand over this session to Ms. Olamide, who also is an occupational therapist here in Nigeria, to facilitate the question and answer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, Mr. Elvin. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. So we'll move to the uh, questions um, straight away. So the first question I have for you is, how um, how professional therapy services being delivered in South Africa during this pandemic? We know this pandemic would have um, made things different. So what, what is it like, right? Hmm. So I'd like to start off perhaps just by giving um, a brief background of um, the situation around occupational therapists in South Africa. We are currently 7,874 OTs registered in South Africa as of April 2019. And nationally, we have about 75% of our OTs that are deployed in the private sector, um, which only caters for 16% of the population, while 25% of our OTs are actually employed in the public sector, catering for 84% of the population. So just by that numbers, you can imagine that there's a huge disparity in the 
human resource allocations or occupation. And this has definitely impacted the OT response to COVID-19. And so what we are seeing is that occupational therapists are not only working, for example, in ICU settings with um, what we traditionally will see the provision of assistive devices and working collaboratively with, with um, physiotherapists to um, improve cardiopulmonary endurance, looking at functional rehabilitation, etc. But what we are seeing is that OTs are innovatively working um, on the rural platform and at the primary healthcare level, assisting um, the multidisciplinary team with contact tracing and preventative work and really working closely with our community care workers um, in terms of preventative strategies and really addressing um, the high-risk population categories such as persons with disabilities and our mental health care users. Um, we also have instituted since March of this year telehealth services for occupational therapy. So really in response to COVID-19, we we. It is highlighting a huge disparity um, within the country in terms of health service provision and specifically occupational therapy. But we also have had to really look at how we can evolve the service provision to make it um, as accessible as possible to especially the high risk populations and also how we can contribute as a profession to the frontline fight against this pandemic. Thank you very much for that. Um, you said something about um, preventative strategies. I would like you to elaborate a bit on that. Like um, how how um, are our services helping? Like what are the preventive uh, preventive strategies that we are um, giving out as operational therapists? Yes. So, for example, we are working very closely um, within a community-based approach with our community health workers and with our district-based teams. So we are doing, for example, um, we're part of the, the response team that's doing the contact tracing. Um, so looking at those patients who are at risk or who are under investigation um, and helping from a community development and, and, and community um, response to the pandemic. And then also looking at um, devising specific information um, brochures and um, strategies for vulnerable groups such as persons with disability. So on a national level, um, our, our um, occupational therapists working at our National Department of Health has worked um, very closely with pro provincial delegates to develop these information brochures that is accessible for persons um, with disability and looking at really spreading the awareness and, and the education to our therapists that is working in the primary healthcare platform so that they are also aware of, for example, how do we um, 
disinfect wheelchairs? How do we disinfect assistive devices to prevent this the further spread um, of this disease? And then, of course, we've held also a series of webinars as the association. In actual fact, we've held eight webinars um, since the pandemic or since our uh, South Africa was declared um, declared a, a national state of disaster, where we have been engaging very closely with um, the occupational therapy community to to assist in the prevention and, and spread of this disease. Okay, thank you. So next uh, question is, professional therapists, we believe in evidence-based practice. So for, uh, for intervention for patients at this time, are there like any evidence-based um, practice, like any evidence-based research for it? Yes. So we, since this pandemic, you know, it, it it's, it's really, it's a new virus um, that has for many professional groupings um, provided significant challenges in terms of best practice guidelines. What we have done in South Africa and as the Occupational Therapy Association of South Africa, we have developed um, our specific context-specific guidelines for our occupational therapists. Um, and we've had a series, as I said, a series of webinars um, really targeting our occupational therapy students and our um, occupational therapy practitioners to share these um, guidelines. These guidelines um, was issued in March, so very soon after um, our, our country declared a, a national state of disaster. These guidelines are also accessible on the um, OTASA website um, and I'll give you the details of that a little bit later. But what we've also done is we've worked very closely with um, all sectors in where occupational therapy practices. So we've also developed guidelines um, for telehealth services and also looked at how these services are um, offered and reimbursed as well. Then moving away from the clinical practice guidelines, we've also developed um, a set of guidelines based on the national regulations for occupational therapists to, for example, ensure that their practices um, and their, their service areas um, adhere to the occupational health and safety regulations. Um, what I also would like to share is that um, what has worked well um, during this pandemic, what this pandemic has forced us to do and what it what it has shown us is that we, we cannot work in silos. So we've worked really closely with the Department of Education, the Department of Social Development um, to draw up um, pathways of referral and to draw up guidelines that is really specific to the context that our patients find themselves in. So the guidelines that we've developed has really been in response to um, what is emerging um, from the field. Um, and, and, and we've, we've had to do this in, in record time because, as you would know, um, this is a novel virus. It's a, it's a novel situation for all of us um, internationally. Thank you. So, um, next question is, uh, considering that children with autism 
and then ADHD and um, some other neurodevelopmental conditions require more hands-on therapy. How have you been? Uh, what would you advise? Just in case you've not been, um, you're not in that sector. Like, how offer services to them in this pandemic? Would you? What do you think is workable? Hmm. It's a very important question and, and, and quite a complex question to, to answer. I can only speak from um, you know, the South African experience. It's important um, for me to share with, with you and, and the listeners that um, you know, we, South Africa, uh, uh, the president declared a state of disaster on the 15th of March and this disaster management act then came into to 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 being and this disaster management act really um imposed a series of of regulations that really restricts um you know the movement of persons but also how we are are able to interact um, with our patients. And so this was even more complicated um, when a national lockdown level five was declared on the 26th of March. Since then, we've been able to move to level four um, lockdown level. And this has made it a lot more uh, um, easier for us to engage for example with patients um, that has a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or any condition where hands-on therapy is required. So under this regulations we unfortunately have to follow the regulations as as stipulated in the Disaster Management Act. So under this regulations we've been instructed as healthcare providers that telehealth is the first option and if it is permissible for us um, or if it's not possible for us rather to see patients um, via telehealth we are able to to under this level four regulations have a phased in approach of therapists returning to to work and these therapists are then according to the regulations classified as essential staff that can return to practice and return to work and they work on a rotational basis and based on the absolute need of the patient so for example with the autism patients with autism with physical disabilities that require hands-on therapy they are then permitted to be seen under level four and under level three restriction levels provided that we are compliant with the the regulations as set out um, by our disaster management act um, and so we've been seeing uh, patients that are visiting practices on an outpatient basis but under very strict conditions where um, you know there has to be screens up protecting um, the patient and the therapists wearing masks and visors, making sure that the area is completely disinfected before and after each patient, along with all of the materials that's utilized in therapy. So to answer your question, yes, um, we have been under level four and three, been able to see these type of patients that we would classify as uh, patients who require essential services, but under very, very strict and regulated um, conditions. Okay. You mentioned in um, 
while answering the first question, that you've been collaborating with um, people also with mental health um, disabilities and all that. So, for example, how how do you think um, we you can educate someone with with mental um, mental difficulties? How do you think you can educate that person? against COVID-19 because I feel as occupational therapist we also have that to help um, to educate our patients so for example someone um, a, a non-functioning um, adult how, how do we educate that adult against infect, uh, against this um, against protecting him or herself <clears throat> from COVID yeah Again, uh, once again, a very complex question. When we are faced um, with situations where patients, for some or other reason, lack the ability to understand the information um, from a preventative point of view that we are wanting to share with them, whether this is you know, due to their intellectual capacity or even due to the language barrier, um, it is very important for us um, to collaborate with family members or with the community members and to be innovative in the manner in which we are providing the information um, to these patients that have real barriers to understanding and, and integrating the information into their daily lives. So there isn't a, a, a quick answer to this question. But what I can say is that, you know, as occupational therapists, the ethos of our profession is to be client-centered. And so, of course, we will then collaborate with family members, community members, and also with other professionals like our social workers and our community healthcare workers that can collectively assist in ensuring that this vulnerable population indeed is protected against this virus as much as possible. So that could range from, you know, making certain adaptations to the environment, for example, um, utilizing community members or family members to ensure that the disinfection of the environment happens as it is supposed to happen. And that there's regular monitoring and supervision of, of um, you know, in terms of the example that you're using a person with a severe intellectual um, impairment. Okay, thank you. So, um, I'm going to ask you two different questions now, but I'll, I'll ask one for the other. So, uh, what some most patients or some patients, a few percentage of patients that have COVID are uh, admitted to the ICU? How do you think we come in as occupational therapists in the ICU? How do you think, what, what, what do we help them with in the ICU? Mm, very important question. And so, we will work very, very closely with our physiotherapy counterparts because, of course, the priority here is to um, preserve the cardiopulmonary endurance of the patient and to preserve the life of the patient, um, of course. So in the ICU setting, it will be our approach is very much based on the performance component. So we would be looking at reducing contractures, for example, um, and deformities related to being hospitalized and being, um, you know, receiving assisted uh, respiratory therapy. We would also have a role to play in promoting the function 
intentional um, implication or from uh, reducing um, and addressing the functional implications of um, being in ICU. Um, and so really you would have to to prioritize what the input would be um, for that patient based on on the clinical the clinical picture primarily it would be to to preserve cardiopulmonary endurance by looking at preventing deformities um, through assistive devices through positioning and then also once the person is is um, taken off the ventilatory support is to address the mental health concerns around um, the deprivation and the social isolation that they are experiencing um, being separated from their family. And I would also imagine that there would be a need to address um, any um, psychological uh, components such as as mood um, and, and depression disturbances that may, may be present. We also then have to, um, I know you've asked the questions around ICU, but we also would have to look at post-ICU, the long-term functional implications um, as well. So the OT is actually very important, um, you know, in the ICU setting in terms of assisting the medical team to plan for the long-term um, functional implications that um the patient will be faced with along with the mental health implications and then reintegration post-discharge. Okay. Um, let's focus only on um, um, COVID or people that have COVID. The, the truth actually is people that did not have COVID will also experience PTSD. It's just like really sudden and then our lives had to like really change and everything had to change. So how do we address PTSD. If in, so some people had COVID, but they didn't have to go to the ICU quite a right. So how do we, as occupational therapists, how do we address that among, say, our patients? Patients, how do we address the PTSD or the post-recovery, post-pandemic um, condition? Mm-hmm. So it's a very important question. Again, you know, the the approach perhaps I, I would have to say would would not be very much different from from your approach with a patient that is experienced or that has experienced a a traumatic event and now is having mental health complications and so you have to work collaboratively um, with these individuals to address issues around um, deprivation, occupational imbalance, and social isolation. We also have to remember that in the context of of COVID-19, it has really brought to the fore a variety of social determinants of health that patients are also being faced with. Gender-based violence, substance abuse, you've mentioned PTSD as well. And so, from an occupational therapist's point of view, those are are the key factors that you would have to take into consideration. And I'm and I and I have to emphasize that your approach wouldn't be markedly different from from any other patient that you would address um, that has a or that has experienced a traumatic event and now has PTSD. Your approach will still be guided by the core focus of our profession to enable maximum participation and engagement um, of, of the patients. 
But what COVID-19 is highlighting for us more than anything is the importance of addressing the social determinants of health. Um, and we are seeing this um, from the PTSD right up to the gender-based violence and substance abuse that's rife in our communities as well. Okay. Thank you. So you spoke about telehealth earlier. Um, saying that our profession is more of um, hands-on and all that, how 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 is this working out for you? How how um, delivering these kind of telehealth services and seeing improvement with uh, some of your patients um, using telehealth uh-huh. services? Yes. So very early on, um, when there was a state of disaster declared in in the country we collaborated uh, through the association the occupational therapy association of south africa with um, our private practitioners to develop a guideline um, for the delivery of telehealth services this was approved um, and uh, approved by our, our regulatory body in South Africa, so the Health Professions Council of South Africa, and the reimbursement or funding thereof is also then regulated by the Council of um, for Medical Schemes. It's really been challenging because the reality is that many, many of the patients that we serve live in conditions where they don't even have access to um, a cell phone or to a mobile network because poverty is just so rife. And so while they are, while telehealth has been wonderful, it's also been accessible to a very few number of patients that has access to this resource. Um, and so, so this is again, you know, what I've said is that COVID-19 really um, foregrounding the, the disparities that exists um, in the healthcare system and in our society. So while we have the guidelines, while we have the system in place, um, very few patients are actually able to benefit from, from this resource. Um, thank you for that. Um, I also like to ask, considering some other uh, professions, like everyone is evolving right now. Um, some companies are looking to just work remotely, and all have really new changes right now. How do you think we can evolve as occupational therapists? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very important question that you are asking, and, and I want to say that I would like to see a move and an. Imp- Racing as occupational therapists, an approach that is centered around social justice. Um, advocating and, and or rather eliminating the, the, the risks of exacerbating um, pre-existing inequalities um, and advocating for groups that have actually become more vulnerable now because of um, the COVID-19. So looking at, at, at um, social justice approaches and recovery strategies um, for these patients and then looking um, at the long-term restructuring um, plans around advocacy um, for these vulnerable groups. Um, you've mentioned persons with, with mental health concerns, but also persons with with disability in general. And so, so occupational therapists have a huge role to play in the area of social justice. The focus, um, sadly, 
you know, uh, has been on proving our essentialness um, in terms of the the our positioning in in ICU, our positioning at the hospital level of care. But we really need to address. You know the social determinants of health again from a social justice perspective, because this is going to um, position us going forward um, when you know, God forbid, another pandemic um, hits us as a human race. Um, so I really think that there needs to be this move towards a social justice approach um, and eliminating pre-existing inequalities. Um, occupational therapists are perfectly suited to do just that. Thank you for that. So, um, this is also related to um, the last question. Like, how do you see the future of occupational therapy? How do you, um, like, going forward 10, 20 years, how do you think this particular situation would improve the future of occupational therapists? How? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I see uh, the results of the WFOT um, Human Resources Project uh, 2020 that was released. And I really am hopeful that our areas of practice will, will expand um, to include areas of social justice, um, to move beyond the traditional boundaries of practice. And for us as a profession, to to really work across sectors so it would be wonderful for occupational therapists working in health to speak to and to work with occupational therapists working in the education sector in the labor sector in the social development sector and so i really really envision that in 10 years time that occupational therapists will be at the forefront of addressing these disparities that exist in our society in terms of health um, and in terms of access to basic services, basic services that is based on the human need and the human right to occupation. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that is um, very valid. And then, like you said earlier, we are um, we we are generally poised to to be able to do that because we have the knowledge, we have um, everything needed to do that. Yes, I I understand that. Right. So um, this is this will be the last question, and I would like you to like um, really talk about it. What what advice do you? Will you give occupational therapists in Africa? How do you feel? Uh, what do you think we need to do? Need to improve so as to improve to make occupational therapy in Africa better than it is right now? Yeah. Wow. So in Africa, we know there's a, a concept known as Ubuntu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this really talks about um, or signals this profound sense that we are human, we are all human, and that only through humanity, recognizing the humanity in others, that we are able to serve others and and to make a contribution to this world. And so for us all in Africa, all occupational therapists in Africa, 
we need to connect more we need to dialogue more we need to share experiences we need to share best practice guidelines that comes from the south that comes from africa while we are doing this we shouldn't be afraid to be innovative but while we are being innovative not forgetting our indigenous and traditional knowledge systems that are uniquely african and so we need to be brave we need to be brave because oti is humanity and collectively we can achieve so much Oh, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, Elvin, this has really been a great session with you and look forward to doing this again some other time. Yeah. Thank you so much and thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Go well and and God bless. And we have come to the end of today's podcast. Thank you for listening in to this episode of COVID-19 and the Therapist. Thank you very much, Mrs. Olamide Mabel and Mr. Elvin William for that wonderful interactive session. Until the next episode, stay safe.